I prefer buying things and figuring out where to put them later than regretting not buying them. Christian Louboutin, French fashion show designer. Hello, you're listening to Talking at a Slot, the podcast for those who enjoy the small things in life. This week on Talking at a Slot, we'll be apologising for mistakes made, wondering why we buy what we buy, and hopefully getting ourselves invited to the seaside. I'm Scott Brownlee, occasional racer and committed collector of slot cars. And I'm Pedro. Nearly. This is episode 10 of Talking Out of Slot. So I mentioned that we've got to make some corrections from last time. Uh, and you know, it's little things. And I think the title of the podcast gives away that we're not overly worried about complete accuracy on most things. But uh, it really refers back to my visit to the South Coast Slot Car Club at Worthing. And I mentioned the impressive race management system that they were using. Uh, and I credited the sort of electronics side of it, the software side of it, to Jean. Uh, and I wasn't sure about the hardware. Uh, he's very politely corrected me. I got it the wrong way around. The software is something uh, that he bought in. But he did make some of the hardware parts that goes to the track, etc. Uh, I think a lot of it's 3D printed. Anyway, the point was, it all works very well and it really helps run the races and the whole afternoon uh, very smoothly, especially for people who are not necessarily familiar with the format like I wasn't. I walked in the door and it was the first time I was there. Anyway, that worked very well. So but that, so apologies for getting it wrong. Uh, it was only a little bit. And the other thing I got slightly wrong was I said that the, the heats were cumulative on time and actually it was cumulative on laps. Uh, so it was you, you, you had four heats and you totaled up the laps that you'd completed in those heats to give an overall position, not time. General gist of the point, I think the same was, you weren't. it wasn't an individual race, I wasn't finishing second in one race and third in the other or whatever, it was just doing laps which added to a total. And I think we said last time, it's a little bit of an odd thing, you you have to go fast all the time, so it's a bit more like a, a stage rally, you know, you're not really racing the people you're beside because you're trying to do as many laps as you can. So an interesting different format to the one I was used to. Yeah. Is there any time left for a podcast? Because that was quite an epic apology. And the more you spoke about the apology and the correction, the more I thought, I'm not sure this is uh, a needed correction. But I understand that Johnny did correct you, or Jean did correct you. Interesting what you said about the laps thing. Because as you said it, I thought, hang on, isn't that how we used to do things back in the days of the Maidenhead slot car club that I used to go to many, many moons ago? Um, I seem to recall it was done on laps there, but I'm then wondering how they calculated parts of laps. Um, and my pausing and thinking isn't particularly good podcast material, so I'll, I'll move on to say I also have a, a sort of correction in that um, I wasn't too sure of the the whole when well, you mentioned John's way of doing it I was confused about um timing that clubs use certainly that Oxford use and the fact that we always talk about the total duration of the heats rather than um giving points to first second and third which I don't understand but I had it explained to me and I still don't agree with it but uh, the reason for Oxford doing it that way and I suspect other clubs is that not because you get to race on every lane we only have four lanes i don't necessarily race against everyone else who's present if we've got eight punters there i'm not necessarily going to race against all of them so it's done on my time on each lap rather than how many races i win 
which I can see the logic of, but I can also not see the logic of because I'm just driven by the whole first past the post thing. Um, well, know. that was that was yeah. I mean, I think we're not to recover the ground we did last week. I think the what we're both used to the first past the post idea would mean that if you were safely in second place, say in a in a race sense. You wouldn't necessarily go as fast as you could because you want to. You, you, you recognize that's me all you over. Yeah. That, that, I genuinely, whenever I manage to make uh, make it to the front, <laughs> not very often, or you know, if I've got a position and I've got some space between me and the guy behind, then I throttle back and I don't think I'm going to go hell for leather here and maybe fall off because I have a tendency to fall off. So I think let's not fall off this time. Let's try and do it better this time, Pedro, and let's pace ourselves. And that results in a slower time, which penalises me in the grand scheme of things. But I hang on to my place, which is what I'm happy with if I've made it to the um, podium. So yeah, it, it, it's all it's all it's interesting how the same thing can be different, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I look mm. forward to hearing from others. And the next time I go to another club, which could be uh, early warning here, could be as soon as early March, because. After my visit to Worthing, I discovered there's a slot car club just six miles away from me in another village. Is uh, it? So, uh, yes. Who? So, I'm, I'm going to go and visit that. Name them. Um, uh, I can't remember what they're called. It's in... Holy because I, have, because <clears throat> I haven't been yet. Um, no, but, but you've got to get there. So, I'm, knowing where you're going could be good. I know it's in the village called... The, the village is called Eyefold. So, I know it's in Eyefold. Oh. That's uh, anyway. There you go. That's something to look forward to, perhaps. Um, another update from last time uh, was that we were somewhat shocked and stunned and dumbfounded by the silver thingy that yeah. you found on eBay. Uh, yeah. which, just to quickly recap, for you, was a looked like the interior packaging from uh, something because it was slightly molded to sort of be like the shape of a car, in a very Ish. general sense. Ish. Uh, and painted silver with stick-on wheels, uh, and it purported to be <laughs> a Toyota. Uh, but I gather you have an update for us. Yeah, because I uh, watched it in order to hang on to the URL, in order to forward it to you and go, what the? Um, I continued watching it after the podcast, and the next day I got an offer of a discount on it, 27.97% off if I wanted to make the purchase. Needless Twin to say, uh, dear listener, I did not make the purchase. 27.97 that's a hideously accurate discount well i suspect he, he had knocked a tenner off say ah. and ebay had just calculated what that meant on the original purchase price um but i didn't go for it because uh apparently a fool and his money aren't easily parted and you can resist a bargain i can Different. resist a bargain when it looks like that <laughs> it does rather lead to something we were talking about yeah it was which is well I should say, because I bought something on eBay this week. That's not unusual. Most weeks I have something. <laughs> you are more of a potato than I am, by a long way. I did phrase that as if it was an unusual event, didn't I? But no, anyway, no. Um, and it begs the question of what we were to say. Why do we buy what we buy? What is it that makes us buy that one and not the other one? And why is it you know we hanker after and search out this thing, but... So because I know what, what you bought this week, I, I those are exactly my thoughts. Why did you buy that, Scott? Explain what it is and then, ex and then explain yourself. Why on earth did you Why buy, did I buy that? that? Well, my description of it is an extremely attractive, uh, small, uh, 
Skeletric Spain model of a Seat 850 Coupe. Uh, now, I think the original moulding dates back to the 70s, probably. And um, I have a number of those. One was re-released uh, 20, 30 years ago in the when Matchbox branding was on those those that company. And wow, re- did they do one? They, 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 it's the same one. So Matchbox owned... The, Spanish Skeletrics for a while, as it were. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they they released some old molds and called them vintage classics. There's an idea, and um, I bought one then. And then when I was buying up the part works, the the Pladeta and the Altaya, Alitalia, yeah. yeah, which uh, I managed to source from Spain at the time. So I've got a couple of them already, but this one is very lovely. It's red. It's a 1967 or something rally. Uh, it says Min. Mini L, it's got written on it in a sort of French way, actually. Very, a very sixties kind of European graphics, um, but it's lovely. It's it's full of charm. It's what slot cars wear, not what they are, but uh, it's got a more modernish RX motor in it, um, and it blasts around the track quite happily. As I say, I've got a few of them, so I'm very, uh, I'm very chuffed with that. Have you run the new one? I have. Does oh, it yeah. have remarkably skinny, tiny wee tires? They're they're skinny-ish, um, but they're quite grippy. Um, really? So, I mean, I think to scale, they're about a foot wide, so they'd look ridiculous from a scale model point of view. But in slot car terms, they're quite narrow, and they're ribbed. Um, but like a lot of old slot models, uh, Step Forward SCX, Step Forward Ninko, the old tyres work reasonably well, particularly on a, a, a home track. Is that because we think they've got more rubber in them? I, it's my suspicion that this, mm-hmm. this, this, in some way or other, is related to a tree, uh, not necessarily one which died four billion years ago and has been crushed underneath and turned into oil. But uh, yeah, I, I'm not big enough on chemistry to know how the tires are made. But anyway, that's what. I, and why did I buy it? Because it's charming. It's lovely. It's it's it's. A bit nostalgic. I didn't have one when I was young because I didn't have, didn't even know Spanish Skeletrics existed until no. 30, 30 years ago. Um, I wish I'd known to... when I was going on foreign holidays with my parents because um, I didn't know and I was big into the Skeletrics back then. And if I'd known that I could have gone into a, I don't think we ever went to Spain, French or Italian, a toy shop, model shop, and picked one up, I would have. Um, I definitely don't. All I was thinking about, really, when I went for was dinky toys and things. But we might come back to my foreign uh, metallic purchases, die-cast purchases. Um, I have a question about that. So, okay, that little 850, it is cute. I get that. And you're claiming it runs okay. Mm, not sure about that. Um, I still don't quite understand the attraction of that one. But more importantly, do Planeto, Directo, whatever they were called, and at to Laya, Alpire, whatever they were. Do they still exist? Do they still do that thing? Uh, I don't know. I was very lucky at the time. In fact, a number of us at the club were very lucky because my uh, my Spanish opposite number was willing, yeah. uh, very thankfully, to have... Uh, we subscribed to four... Uh, multiples of four. So every week she was getting four sets of this stuff <laughs> delivered. Uh, and then boxing it up uh, and putting it into the the company internal post mail, <laughs> internal mail, <laughs> and it was arriving in the UK. So um, I I think we did that for three or four different. Certainly, I've got four cases and the 
10, 12 cars that come with each one. Each, for those who don't know, it was, it was a Spanish part work. So as we get, is it D'Agostini we get the advertising? Yeah. Or Panini or whatever. Yeah, uh, that sort of thing. Of I think it's the same company, actually. And, it probably um, is, isn't it? Yeah, and it's just because obviously slot cars were big. And they, they went to what I insist on calling Spanish Skeletric, or SCX as we know them. And said, "Can you make some of this stuff for us?" Or you know, and they they dug out the old mouldings and they did new liveries on old stuff, and it was great. So it was about it worked out about twenty quid a car, and you got uh, a carry case. When you completed the whole thing, there was a plastic carry case to put them all in, and on one collection, I even got a watch. So I was very proud of my wow. very cheap but very unusual Skeletric. You would have been watch. king of the playground with that watch were you at school. Well, except there was four of us at the club, so not really. But it wasn't it wasn't well, rare in that sense. I was probably the it. only one. I was probably the only one who wore it though. But I had a. I made contact with a, a Spanish uh, fellow who um, was prepared to make the purchases for me, and um, I'm pretty sure when you subscribed, you actually got free cars as well. I'm sure I got one or two, having committed to the cycle of 12 um cars that came in four bits per car i thought i got a couple of absolute on the top freebie ones as well but i may be imagining i think that. i think that was so i think the watch was that so you know if you subscribe you got the watch yeah that was you a subscribe bonus you got the, yeah you got the carry case sort of thing for them so and al um, although i'm uh, poking fun at you for having that I'm not poking fun at you, but um, in my head, I'm poking fun at you for buying that 850. I have to confess, of all the Planeto, Directo, whatever they're called, the, the um, part work stuff that's been through my hands, there's only a few that I still have. And one of them is a Fiat Panda. Yeah. They did an issue of it that had a Fiat Panda, and I kept that one. Well, I think and that I can was the. promise you that one doesn't go around the track very well. <laughs> oh, I've got a few wow. of those. I've got a few of those. I think of for me that of that was the joy because you couldn't get. I mean, we're talking to 15, 20 years ago, so a lot of these oh, models had oh. long since gone out of production, and you know you couldn't get them. So to get a modern, new one with tampu printing and all that good stuff, this was you know far cheaper than buying something even at that stage uh, off off eBay. Now, it always struck me that it was quite a cheap way of buying cars. And it always annoyed me that in the UK, when you had that part work kind of malarkey, it was, uh, you'd get a TV advert that says week by week, uh, each each issue builds into a fantastic model of the uh, Titanic. And you looked at it, and if you bought them all, you'd spend something like five, six hundred quid and only have a you know iffy model of the Titanic to show at the end of it. Um, whereas the the Spaniards, you you paid uh, you know, what was it, ten or a month, ten or a week, and you eventually got a decent car out of it for not over the odds money. I yeah, I, exactly. That's that's uh, which is why I was you know as I say eternally grateful to my Spanish colleague uh, who indulged us for what must have been about three or four years. Yeah. Uh, that, that we otherwise, I mean, you can get them all now on eBay, and I think again as things have progressed and traders have come and come and gone so they're not unobtainable um but at the they're time fit, they're you... rare i would say i do see them i've had various ebay searches saved obviously i'm interested in slot cars that's just a given i think um mm. but they they do turn up but not that often i think I suppose. that'll be why you're doing a podcast about slot cars if you're interested in them yeah i hadn't thought of that 
that makes sense now you say so that. why do you buy what you buy well that's a very good question um i don't know why do i buy what i buy because i'm interested in most sports generally um and so because i cannot i mean every time i do euro millions which i do reasonably regularly when it gets to a certain amount i'm I have certain standards and I won't buy a ticket for less than, I don't know, 30 mil. Um, I tell myself that one of the things I will do is sponsor a uh, some kind of motorsport entrant, be it mm, probably, probably GT3 type stuff, British GT Championship, maybe. Um, so basically, I'd like to be a racing driver. I'm not good enough to be a racing driver. But I can, and I can't, I'm not good enough, and I can't afford to be a racing driver. But I can get halfway around the circuit when it's 132nd scale, and I can afford to have all my dream cars, all my dream racing cars. So I think it's because I'm a failed, well, not even attempted, because I'm a motorsport wannabe. I've ended up with X tricks, which is pretty damning. <laughs> no, 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 I think, I mean, to, you know, to just twist that a little bit on a positive note. So rather than you know, well, I'm not complaining. Be, I'm going to say it's not a second best of what you could have been. Uh, although, by the way, if you do win the 38 million, you can do mm-hmm. your own version of the Michael Fassbender Road to Le Mans. <laughs> <laughs> so we can have Pedro's Pem- Road to Brands Hatch. <laughs> well, I was going to say Pembry because you know I love a bit of alliteration. But anyway, oh, okay. Pedro's Pedro's path to Pembry um, <laughs> in some classic jag for the VSCC that sort of thing. Ah. Anyway. Um, I've lost my thread now. That's I've, I was so impressed with my I literally <laughs> lost that thread, which is a terrible thing to admit. But Excuse what me. I was going to ask was, you you say you're a general motorsport fan, yeah. but you don't buy models of everything. I mean, you like we both like GT3. We like endurance racing in general. Uh, so again, the aforementioned Michael Fassbender series. I really, really want a green 911 GT3 because of that. But you don't. I mean, you told you'd confessed. And I think it was good of you to confess. I think it's good to get these sort of guilty secrets out. You told me that you've been watching F1 testing. Yeah. So, God knows why. I mean, F1 races are bad enough, but F1 Ah, testing... but I also told you I ended up with the conclusion of why am I watching? Well, uh, watching the testing is all right. Watching the pundits, I've realised. I've reached a certain age, and I am sufficiently grumpy, um, and I'm cynical, but... All the web links that I followed during testing and a lot of the YouTube video clips that I watched, they were basically just clickbait, made-up stories. Not not entirely made-up stories, but they were taking a tiny thing and making a mountain out of a molehill. And basically, F1 testing, you can't tell a great, great deal. The top three are probably still the top three, and the other guys are going to mix it up a bit. But until we actually get to Bahrain for the proper weekend, ah. Oh, we won't know for sure. So what was what was the point in me watching all that testing and watching Ted Kravitz talk nonsense? There was a video with Ted Kravitz where he just had a um, an iPad on a stand and he flicked through showing pictures and he talked about them. And sometimes he talked about, he, he couldn't find the picture he wanted to talk about. And I thought, why am I watching this awful cheap TV? Um I was going to say, I was just, the listeners are probably thinking much the same at the minute. Yeah, no, why am they... I listening to this awful <laughs> cheap podcast? What's going on with my life? Let's, point point th- taken. Thank, 
Thank you for listening. Uh, did we, do, we, do, we just lost a whole load of listeners. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and no, I sent did. them away. I think we just disrespected them. But tr- trying quickly to get that the, the situation back, <laughs> given Never that you are committed enough to F1 to watch and be interested in F1 testing, are you now or have you recently bought a modern F1 slot car? Well, last year, yes. Um, last year I bought a couple of... Um, I started off with one Polycar generic F1 and with the avowed intent of um, putting some Spanish decals on it and turning it into um, Alonso's Alpine, which I did do. And I'm very pleased with the um, with the results. Back then, we didn't race them at Oxford. I've managed, campaigned and achieved getting them on the roster so that towards the end of our current rotation, we will be doing um, Polycar generic F1s, and which means I have to um, finish the other one that I bought, uh, which I was turning into um, uh, an Aston Martin. So, and I do buy the classic Polycars, not a lot because they don't knock them out that quickly, but um, they have a uh, a draw to me because they're close to my childhood ones, the, the cars that I remember as a, a child, close-ish. The BRM um, that's coming out is a must-have simply because my very first Scalectric set was um, BRMs. Um, I have no great desire to buy the NSRs because I think they look just too wrong. And they just look, they don't look quite right. But I have a Scale Auto, I've mentioned it before on this very podcast, Nakajima's Scale Auto is coming my way as soon as it is released. And a, a strong temptation to pick up another one in the hope that somebody does some Jordan decals for it so that I can turn it into a nice green machine. Because that, I do believe, I saw it referenced somewhere on the interwebs, uh, is one of the prettiest F1 cars there ever was. And that's, 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 that's just end of. That's really interesting. So you've covered off several reasons for buying. So there's, I don't know whether the Alpine was because you like the car or you like the driver. Maybe both. Maybe both. Yeah. Maybe both. Um, you mentioned Nakajima, so it's like there's a, a nostalgic reason yeah. for you wanting that. I one. don't know why. I always loved it when Murray Walker got excited, and it didn't happen very often about Nakajima's performance or the Mercurial, as he used to describe him, Jean Alesi. The Mercurial Jean Alesi can't do it impersonation. Um, yeah, there, there, there's, um, what is that? That's childhood reasons for buying this. Well, not, then you mentioned delivery. You wanted to do the Jordan one. So it was, it was, yeah. there was delivery reasons. There was nostalgic reasons. Your first set. There was, so, but most of it was about old stuff, not modern Formula One. I watched, I didn't watch any of the testing. I saw some pictures because it's unavoidable when you're into cars. These things get served up for you. And what I was struck by was all the cars, A, they look the same, but they all appear to be painted the same, which is to say they're not very painted. They all seem mostly black. And at a little bit of investigation on this, I discovered that it's to save weight. So I was astonished. I mean, they're getting tens of millions of dollars from these companies to represent them as a kind of fast-moving billboard. And they've somehow or other managed to convince them to give them the money, but no, no, we're not going to put your corporate colours on the car but still because it makes it a bit heavy. They've still got the logos on. I think you're... Uh, no, they're not all black. I mean, the Mercedes is famously, infamously black. But, I mean, the Williams is blue. The Aston Martin is green. The Ferrari, controversially, is red. So there's still paint out there. Dulux won't go out of business just after this one season. Yeah, but I think it's, you know, can, if they can't, and maybe they can't, you know, it's a complicated thing in Formula One car, 
But I mean, how much does the paint weigh? What you know, a few kilograms well, maybe? Okay, so I I did watch <laughs> I watched a YouTube video on that very. Well, it was discussed. I think it was Ted Kravitz hassling somebody from um, Mercedes, and I he was trying to be woolly. I think about the answer, three to four kilos, which struck me as. A bizarre amount of paint. Why don't you spray it on really thin like I do on my white coats? Three to four think, kilos of paint. I think they do. In fact, this is the, I used to go, one of the guys used to come racing at Lip Hook. His job was painting McLaren Formula One cars. Oh, wow. Uh, and, at, and at the time, they would come back and be completely stripped and repainted. And that was in the days of the, the West sort of faded silver, black, and red flashes. So quite a complicated uh, livery. Um, yeah. Anyway, if you're listening, Mick, well done. Um, the other thing, uh, why do I buy what I buy? The other um, pleasing thing from this weekend was the um, Nine Hours of Kyle Army, which I tuned in for, uh, not the whole nine hours, but I dipped in and out, watched a little bit of the um, quali and then um, bits of the race. And um, GT3 racing appeals greatly because they look, F1's great, but they're just mad devices. But GT3 is much more, you might just see something that looks vaguely like that on the road. I mean, Audi R8s are relatively common, he said, they're not really. Uh, and an AMG GT3 does appear on the roads occasionally. But uh, they have an attraction because they are the now. They're not retro, they're, they're the now, and I like them. I, th I think GT3 is the modern Group 5, isn't it? So there's a yeah, the silhouette much, looks yeah. familiar. But they're, all, they're slightly bulky and they've got those arches. Whereas Group 5 was mostly kind of crazy cardboard box extensions. Yeah, Group uh, 5 was madness. It, bless yeah. um, now it. Now it's all now swoopy is, can, yeah. Can carbon. Yeah. It's a bit um, tame, but it's still it's still gutsy um, endurance racing, which I like very much. And I, have, I said in our kind of like, <laughs> we actually, we don't script this, but we do talk about what we're going to talk about before we talk about it. And I mentioned enjoying John Watson's commentary because he's like a slightly dodgy granddad, I think. Oh, God, is that slander? Um, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> dodgy, dodgy as in he doesn't always string his sentences together properly or he opens his mouth before he's really thought about what he's saying. Hmm, wonder who else does that. Um, but I love, I don't know the other dude, but I love the, I love them. The commentary is brilliant, um, and it makes me think of dear old Murray Walker and some of the things he did. And he's just, he's enthusiastic, and occasionally he'll be a little bit sarcastic as well. Like he mentioned something about the, the what the spectators were putting on the barbecue at one point, which is a nice bit of fill-in. I did, I did dip in and fast-forward through the, the nine hours from Kyle Army. Uh, and just for those who haven't done that, there were uh, 11 entries. Uh, one of which fell out halfway through. So you have to feel, and it wasn't particularly a, a nip and tuck race because no. whatever happened, they were, you know, they were kind of in their positions and they stayed in it. So I, I did feel for the commentators for having to do nine hours of live commentary <laughs> on just 10 cars. Um, so yeah, I can see why they would have descended into discussing their barbecues because uh, there would have been not much else to get to talk about. Um, I can name drop here. I met John Watson. In fact, I could go so far as to say I worked with John Watson. My final day working for Peugeot Talbot back in 1989 was at the British Grand Prix on the Saturday and we had the Peugeot Cup 
or 309 Cup, or whatever it was called. Anyway, a whole field of 309s, a French domestic championship. God knows why they then booked it as a support race for the British Grand Prix, particularly as it was the weekend of them celebrating the French Revolution independence. Can't think of the proper name of it. So we had a paddock full of French mechanics and drivers away from home uh, wanting to celebrate. Um, but we had two celebrity stroke guest cars. One was a very quick uh, journalist who actually, you could probably describe him more as a racing driver who also wrote, a guy called Mark Hales, uh, and John Watson. Uh, and so I had to go along and I was nominated since I was leaving and it was a Saturday. I got sent along to uh, to look after and babysit the 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 entire lot um so i got to sort of meet john and talk to him it was, he was charming enough i think he was understandably a bit concerned that he was showing up going to be sitting in a car racing putting his life at risk or injury and something he built by people he didn't know um, and, <laughs> you know surrounded by other racers he didn't know so um my memory doesn't extend to what the results were. Oh, uh, that was my question. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Google is your friend. Um, I don't. Re I don't remember. Uh, I, the only thing I really do remember about it is arriving there and um, the Toka representative for the support races wanting to berate somebody because the, the the aforementioned French guys in the paddock had been letting off fireworks in celebration. Bastille Day. That's what I'm trying to remember. Ah, Bastille Day. Okay. And. Uh, and you can imagine letting off fireworks in a, even then, in back in the the late eighties, inside a, a Grand Prix paddock was was somewhat frowned upon. So anyway, there you, that's a, that's a bit of name dropping. Um, that's a good name drop. Oh, thank you very much. Um, which is why I've got a John Watson problem. Mainly, it's because it was in the aforementioned Altaya set. But I will I will be buying a John Watson problem uh, when that the new Skeletric one comes out. If I buy one of the new Brabham's, I will buy the one that doesn't have the fire. Excuse me, about a cough. <coughs> that's the that's the that's the John Watson one. Oh, it's is a it? little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, because the yeah. number yeah, number two. It's a really interesting one, and I think this badly segues into where we're going in the next piece about the choice of things that get made as models. Hang on, Scott. If it... only we had like segue music, we could like cut, play some music, and then. Segway into something. Sorry, that makes a very bad segue, me interrupting you. As you were saying, oh no. <laughs> what I was saying was um, there's a kind of commonly held belief that uh, the slot car manufacturers want to get multiple liveries out of any mould uh, so that they can bring, you know, earn back on the investment cost of doing that. So you, you see cars with multiple liveries on them, that's great. That Brabham is basically was used for one year, as far as I'm aware, was never sold to any privateer team, and basically has two versions, one with a fan on the back and one without a fan on the back. So that's really interesting that they've invested in that, and I presume the fan on the back must be a bit of a different moulding to the one that hasn't got it. But it got me, the other thing that got me thinking was, um, as a class for racing the other week, was this sort of... Um, classic front-engined Skeletric. And one of the options was an SLR Mercedes. But the Uhlenholt, is that the one? The, the, the closed coupe. So the, you know, the familiar one, the, the Mille Amelia, the open-top one, 
uh, with fangios sterling moss all that good stuff but they also did a model of the closed coupe now it's a to my understanding it's a completely different molding i mean sure the bits of the car are the same sorry who's the, they skeletric and they must have done this about 10 or so years ago and there's no there's just that car i don't i don't believe it raced i believe it was a kind of one-off car uh, a road car and i'm so it got me thinking is that the most obscure car that's ever been made which didn't have multiple liveries Um, well i think there's probably several i can't think of any but i imagine there's several that have been made that don't have multiples but you're right the brabham is uh curious because i mean the there's extra work involved in getting that van to spin. There's extra tooling in that, in producing that model. And then the only real options they have are in sort of presentation boxes for the same livery. livery. Um, well, it's a, I mean, it think, is a bold one. Yeah, I mean... The, does the, it mean the, it doesn't actually cost as much as they make out to make a model? <laughs> That's the, No, I don't think... I think, it, I think it's fairly expensive to do. And I think the... Uh, well, relatively... It must cost what it costs, and I'm new. I have no idea, but let's say it costs twenty-five grand or something to make the tooling. Um, then you've got to sell a certain number of cars at a certain profit margin in order to start making that back. And if you say a nine eleven, uh, you can make twenty yeah. liveries of it. Then great, you know that's paid up. Something like the Batmobile or the Lady Penelope car, I guess there is only one of those, but they're going to make a lot of them because it will mm. sell beyond the normal racing Channels. collecting sort of thing. But when you get into something which is a historic racing car, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, in fact, maybe, maybe we would get the chance to ask someone directly about that sort of thing so that we became a little bit more knowledgeable. So, uh, and you would get the chance to give him his three pounds back. <laughs> yes, so basically, you're saying. When I see Simon, and before I hand over the money, uh, have a list of questions <laughs> ready for him to answer. Well, yes, basically. Uh, well, no, well, no, that's wrong. I, don't, yes. I, th- I think, I mean, we were talking earlier about you were tuning your Bastos Rover. Hmm. Um, and you were bemoaning, I think is the right way of describing it, mm-hmm. the, way, the way certain things were done to manufacture the car. Um, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be speaking for you. I should let you... You were tuning your rover, Pedro. Tell us what you found. Well, as I was tuning it, Scott, I was bemoaning the fact that it's made in a certain way, which is really annoying when you're trying to tune it. Uh, my my issue, as we discussed it, was curiosity with the fact that Scalectrics do say they make toys, except the Bastos presumably isn't sold as a toy because it has Bastos slapped all over it. Um, so tobacco sponsorship means it can't be a toy, it's got to be a model. Yet underneath, it's still very much toy. And they do the things that... I want to know if there's a sort of... Uh, day one of being a modeller at Skelectrix, sorry, Skelectric, um, is that you're handed a folder that says, OK, any time a Mabuchi is used, then the interior tray must have these two fiddly little bits of plastic going either side of the noise suppressor thing which sometimes will go either side of the noise suppressor thing and then occasionally when it's assembled will crush the noise suppressor thing and cause distortion in the interior tray and you know cause havoc and that you must always support the bushings with these little two prongs that come down out of the interior tray and they're just surplus to requirements i think um so i, I am more and more i'm torn with 
Hornby and Skeletrix because they're making models very much aimed at you and me in terms of the subject matter and they're underpinning them with the basic toy stuff which is a bit frustrating but I have tuned my Bastos I did give it a wee run it's not got the fastest motor out of all my Skeletrix and I might see to that but it ran really well and it looked so cool and I was very happy look at my little Good. face Look at my That's, little face, I was smiling. Well, happiness is what it's all Thank about. Thank God it's a we... podcast and not a uh, YouTube video. <laughs> well, from episode 11. No, no. Um, ah. I, I think the... Uh, I think the that, you hit the nail on the head, isn't it? It brings us joy. That's what it's about. It brings us joy. Um, I was going to say, I think I know why they make those prongs above the uh, the bushes. It's to hold the but bushes than... in, isn't it? Well, it's transportation because this thing is put in a box and chucked in a f- chucked in a container, shipped halfway around the world, put in a van, postage. You know, this thing gets bounced around all over the place. We look at them and think it's arrived, and we've unwrapped it, and we're looking at it with kid gloves, and we place it on our track, and we worry about whether the wheels are a millimetre too. It's got to have survived being made and shipped around the world. I um, uh, no, well. I'm not having that. I'm not having that at all. Sorry, but slot it gets made and chucked around the globe. Uh, Carrera, um, let me list a whole load of 132nd slot car manufacturers. They all get chucked around in containers. They don't all have these silly little prongs holding the bushings in. And I think that's the reason that the um, they're concerned that in a accident, which they believe their cars may have, they may come into uh, high-speed interaction with a skirting board or a sofa or a chair leg or something they're concerned that the bushings pop and the car suddenly becomes broken and is seen as not good value for money and so they put these silly little pieces of plastic in because they're cheap on the bushings that's my theory okay well i think we should ask i think we should we should go down we should have a day trip to margate get some ice cream uh and hopefully um speak to somebody so if uh, anybody from hornby's listening we'll, we'd love to come and visit and have a chat with you guys. <laughs> you're going all out for an invitation this week i'm going you? all out. yeah yeah exactly no i think uh i think it's the next stage for talking utter slot actually is that we reach out into the industry uh you know and start to start to engage more fully I thought you were suggesting we go on the road and do shows, rather like uh, radio. This will mean nothing to global audiences, but uh, rather like the um, BBC Radio 1. Um, what did they call them? When they went on the road and did broadcasts from Brighton Beach or Blackpool Beach. or The Radio 1 Roadshow. There wasn't That'll much imagination. <laughs> <laughs> they did Roadshow. Brilliant idea. Roadshow. We're going so, on the road. We're going to do a show. Call it a Roadshow. Talking, talking utter slot on tour. Um, <laughs> And then we can, I think, suddenly when you're talking about beaches there, I thought, has anybody ever put up a slot car track on the beach? I mean, I well, put no, it in my garden. Sand gets everywhere. It gets in your sandwiches, it gets in your, between your toes, and it would get between your pinions. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at some of the Spanish rallies when they've got all the snow and sand and I stuff know, like that. I mean, aren't they fantastic? Impressive. It is very impressive. So maybe mm-hmm. we need to, um, I suppose power would be a chance. Anyway, that's... We don't need to go to Margate in the summer and slot cars on the beach. But I, I think there's a whole load of interesting things that we believe or we wonder why they do it, and it maybe comes down to the whole toy thing. Yeah. You know, and I, and, I, and we shouldn't. It's just I don't. I think use of the word toy is not a negative. Um, and maybe they, 
maybe it's a difference. It's a bit like Jaffa cakes. You know, is it a biscuit or is it a cake? You know, is it a toy car or is it a model car or is it a you know a racing car? Uh, that kind of definitions of these things and uh, maybe that's what makes a difference in how you manufacture them and the cost of manufacturing them and uh, how the end user when i when i went to again slightly name dropping i took my three series company car down to margate to be measured up uh, for making the what then became the, the btcc model of the the e36 so this would have been early mid 90s and, hang on, uh, hang on. Oh, you were working for BMW at the time. I, I was working for BMW at the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and uh, so I met si- uh, Simon Kohler. Um, they're all maybe you have to be called Simon. To be, anyway, Simon Kohler, uh, who's still there now. Uh, and at the time, he was very emphatically, "No, we don't make cars for old men. We make a toy." Yeah. And that, the reason that was interesting at the time, of course, was you know you'd got Ninko just coming along. I think Fly were maybe just on the horizon. And there was just the beginning of what we know now to be a very big market for grown men playing with toy cars. Clearly, they have now embraced that because, as we've been saying earlier, there's a lot of models there which are very clearly directed to people in our our age group, our demographic. Um, so it'd be interesting to hear what they, you know, what how how they assess how many of those kind of customers they've got versus the Toys R Us. Woolies and other retailers which have gone out of business who are going to bulk buy for the, the Christmas market. But hasn't Simon said, um, Simon said, hasn't he, hasn't it come out that the, what we would consider the hobbyist market, i.e. you and me and our listener in America, um, is very, very small. I mean, that's three people there, just there. Um, it's very small and the real business is in the Christmas sets. I thought that was said a while ago. I don't know if that's still true, because if it was a while ago, maybe the market has moved. I mean, the market surely is always moving a bit. Uh, maybe the Christmas sets aren't quite what they used to be these days. Well, I can't help... I mean, obviously, I spent all my career in the full-size car business, uh, and whilst the media and the enthusiasts got very excited about the go-faster versions... Um, Actually, the bulk of what you sold was something that went to rental and fleet markets and you know, yeah. lots of vans and pickups and things. So the business was about both sides of those things. You made the stuff that you made a lot of and you you know, were tight on margins, etc. And you also made the things which were a halo product and said something about what you were and what you wanted to be. Um, I guess, because I have no uh, other uh, information, that the slot car companies are kind of the same. But I, I mean, I have said before. I think you know the NSR scale autos, uh, slotets even of this world, yeah, great as they are, they exist because there's a bedrock of people who have been given or bought toy slot cars, and they've played with them and they want to take it a little bit further, and they eventually get into that that side of the market. So just in the way that you know Ferrari and Porsche rely on people learning to drive in a fiesta so slot it depends on somebody having got loved but got frustrated with their hornby mini well that's a that's a very interesting and um kind of obvious um but well put point um <laughs> was that almost a compliment <laughs> it was, no it was actually more it was more like well why did i think of that um 
because you're right, slot it. There, there is a whole industry, but we don't know how big it is, obviously, uh, that supports the hobbyist, and that is riding on the coattails of the Carreras and uh, the Skeletrics of this world. Uh, well, and, and yet there probably... is a market that keeps us Maurizio in um, whatever aftershave Maurizio splashes on. I wouldn't say it's riding on the coattails. I'd say it stands on the shoulders of. Uh, Oof, I see what you've done it, there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting. So I, I think the. And whether the frustration there for the Carrera Skeletrics of the world is, well, why can't we have a bit of that? Yeah, because uh, Carrera and Skeletrics make very nice models. I mean, both of them, I would say, make nicer models than NSR. Decals for headlights, nonsense. Um, both, both of them <laughs> are quite capable. Peter, Peter, let it go. No, I let will not go. let it go. Not until episode mm, 20, maybe. Um both of them make very nice models. And I mean, that Bastos Rover, I think, is a really peachy model. There's some corners cut here and there, yes, which maybe the Slottits of the world wouldn't do because he's quite fastidious at getting his uh, his shells correct for the library, isn't he? Um, but, yeah, it is, it's an endless frustration. And it, I don't think it'll change, so just deal with it, young man. Young man. Well, it's... <laughs> oh, it's it. a... T- it's a tiny as you know, it's a tiny industry. You know these they were dealing with. Yeah. Even if you combine, you know, if you forget about all of the HO one sixty fourth, all the all the real toy stuff, and I gather that's where the real volume is. Well, I've heard that uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. But if we forget about that, and we probably shouldn't, but if we forget about that, then we're dealing with a real niche, niche, niche here of of toy carness and. Um, but it's lovely, and it gives it gives gives me a lot of pleasure. That's for sure. So thank you, all of you out there who are making slot cars. Um, you make an old man quite happy and relatively poor. <laughs> In the process, you make me happy and have committed me to poverty. Well, again, you know, if I come back to where we started that opening quote, now we 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 didn't plan this, but that opening quote. I prefer buying things and figuring out where to put them than regretting not buying them, and you know. That's that's what we're doing, I think. That's what hit I'm me doing. with that. Hit me with that again, because you, for me, you broke up, and I'm not sure whether that yeah, it's almost certainly been recorded. What? Because I was intrigued by that quote that you found from nowhere. What was it again? I prefer buying things and figuring out where to put them later than regretting not buying them. That is quite um, an interesting uh, philosophy, isn't it? If you, but we're out of time. To... <laughs> <laughs> Tune in that's next it, week yeah. for. That's that. Tune in next week for storage solutions for slot yeah. cars. <laughs> we probably have gone on long enough. So, yeah. uh, thank you for listening to episode ten of Talking After Slot. Um, we enjoy doing this. Hopefully, uh, those of you who are listening enjoy listening to it. We we thank you very much for doing doing so. Um, we're going to carry on, and hopefully, if you if you want to suggest things that you'd like us to look into, or if you want to tell us how bad we are at this, feel free. The comments section is, as it were, open. Uh, largely ignored, but it is open. <laughs> the, the, um, how long we've gone on, the, the little counter was slightly blocked on my screen, so I wasn't aware of it. But I was aware that we were taking a long, we were going over possibly, because in these headphones, my ears are getting remarkably hot. I need to take these headphones off. My ears are kooking. So... Is that an old man thing? Uh, I think so, probably. 
Because your ears keep growing, don't they? Uh, that's the only bit of you that keeps growing. Is that true? So I'm basically that's hot not... housing my ears in these headphones at the moment. Maybe. I think that's Jumbo-esque. not public. That's that's for another podcast. <laughs> Get, getting old and how to put up with it with Peter and Scott. Right. Okay. okay. So that was episode ten of Talking Utter Slot. If you have been, thank you for listening this far, and we'll see you soon. If they haven't been listening, how do they get to... Cheers, Scott. Bye. In this episode 10 of Talking Slot... The perfectionist is coming out, isn't it? It's not a lot. The opening bit went quite well. Don't don't you dare put all of this in the podcast, okay? (laughs) I promise, I promise I won't put this in the podcast. You evil, evil man. Right, let's try again.